Wednesday, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Into the Night Minute. As you know, each week, the Movies by Minute hosts examine the 1985 John Landis-directed comedy Into the Night, one minute at a time, one minute at a time per episode. And as you know, as it's Wednesday, and I've, I've beaten this dead horse into the ground, for some unknown reason, this is my favourite film of all time. It's the film I play in the background when I'm doing the, the, the hoovering or cooking. It's just my go-to white noise movie. I have no idea why. Three episodes in, I still haven't discovered the secret. But we are on episode 53, and uh, it opens with David Bowie's character Colin Morris saying, Far from reasonable. And it ends with the cop saying, Can I help you, sir? So, as it's Wednesday, we've already had uh, Toffer from the Master Debaters. Now... If you hear me being charming and on point and on my best behaviour, it's because we are in the, in the we are in the presence of greatness. Look, I'm nervous. I'm stuttering. <laughs> he is the podcast master, the man they name podcast after. You know him. You love him. He's done Airport Minute, Rocketeer Minute, James Bond Minute, Apollo 13 Minute. When is this man ever going to slow down? And he owns the Tesla. It is Jim O'Kane, the Godfather. How are you, sir? Thank you, Ethan. I am doing excellently. I am so glad you're a part of this show, and I'm so glad I've found someone in the world who loves this movie as much as <laughs> I do. Well, we can it, get into that, because my, my previous uh, two days with uh, my co-host from Was It Worth It, Toffa, uh, liked it for what it was, but couldn't understand my love for it. Uh, <laughs> so, because we had a dropout of a guest today, I thought, Jim O'Kane will superhero <laughs> sweep in, swoop in, and uh, save me. And I know because you love podcasting so much and films and you love this movie, maybe together we can take a journey around this film and discover why we like it so much. <laughs> Cinematic synergy. I understand completely. Yes, it's uh, it's so much. I mean, and, and I know you have the same feeling that I do. You turn on this movie and you see that you see that plane landing yep. and you hear that you, you hear those power toms come up and you just move your fingers like you're like you're beating those toms themselves <laughs> and bb king tying it all together all that los angeles and i know you know even you had spent you had done time in los angeles like oh that, yeah and used to live there so i recognize some of the spots and i kind of you know what it is it's one of those los angeles films that kind of captures the city in a really kind of authentic way i think and that's yeah, why it, i like in, it so in much. a way that it, in a way that it, uh la la land doesn't yes. la la land has lots of nice pictures but this is more like the li i know it's the it's the Randy's Donuts. It's the empty gas stations at two in the morning. Mm. It's it's driving down the street trying to figure out what are these people doing on the sidewalk? <laughs> and wh what's bringing them out here at two in the morning? There are no casinos here, you know, unlike the movie. Yeah. There are no casinos in Los Angeles. These people have no reason to be out, and they're obviously they're up to no good. It's that dreamlike quality, isn't it, I think? And it kind of like washes over you. The only thing other film I can think of modern, even though it's 16 years old now, that kind of captured the LA that I really recognized that I lived in five years ago was kind of collateral, which is that kind of yeah. orange color palette from the kind of lights and the skyline and I guess all the, the glass buildings and stuff. And I think uh, this and Into the Night are kind of my quintessential uh, Los Angeles movies, if you will. Yeah, it does have, one of the things that I noticed in this movie, and I know you know this, you know this uh, event, when you're in Los Angeles and you go into any place, you go into a restaurant, you go into a store, Everybody that's that's within thirty feet of you turns and looks at you and tries to size you up, thinking, <laughs> "Is is that person famous?" Yes. And that's that's the feeling of this movie. And like the the reason you know Landis having all these cameos, it's like, well, of course I'd bump into Jim Henson in the men's room, or of course you know <laughs> it's, it's it's that feeling when you're in L.A. It's like, oh, these are famous people, but what you don't realize is they're very famous, messed up people. You don't know how like close to on the money you are because when I was in Los Angeles, I was told, and I kind of got this sense as well. When you're talking to someone, someone told me this. They went, everyone's kind of very nice to you in this very kind of vapid and plasticky way, just in case, as you just said, Jim, that uh, you might be Spielberg's nephew. But also, they've got their north eye on the door just over your shoulder, shoulder right or left just in case Spielberg or his nephew walks in. So there's a kind of very almost, I'm, I work behind a, the counter of a bank or that very nice, but I, I'm having to be nice to you because I'm working here or you're a customer or you might be someone famous. As you said, was, the, was very much my impression. In fact, I didn't like my first three months living in Los Angeles and I couldn't understand why. And then I started to get on with this group of people. Then I found out they were from New York and they went, well, of course, because you, you're from London. 
England, you've, and, he, and they said, <laughs> the difference between Los Angeles and New York, uh, people in New York stab you in the front. <laughs> and that's why. <laughs> They're very upfront with you, of course. They're very kind of, uh, you know, they, they have their opinion. They're very kind of, uh, you know, in the moment. And I think Los Angeles, yeah. until I kind of got used to it, I was like, what is going on? It, this feels like this kind of like weird Stepford wifey fantasy i mean that no one's actually being real with me it's kind of, it was very uh very strange but uh i kind of understood why in the end and i started to like it and go just accept it lean into the turn and go with it ethan it's fine <laughs> it's the only way to live the uh the, the and you do see that 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 looking over the shoulder thing we do see that in this particular minute when at, you know, at the very <laughs> end of it where uh where mr bowie is staring over at jeff goldblum's shoulder and that that is the look that is the is the <laughs> Spielberg's nephew <laughs> look you know that, that, that's that's gonna be my head for forever I don't know if I've ever told you this story once one, one time uh, I was in uh, in Hollywood just south of uh, just down from the uh, the Hollywood sign mm -hmm. um, and I can't remember the neighborhood but it's in between like Hollywood Boulevard and the <laughs> and Griffith Observatory in there oh I think and, if, yeah uh, if you go up it's Hollywood and Highland I think if you go up that road I think am I getting that right you kind of get up to uh, the well the back yeah, to the future tunnel and all that stuff don't you yeah yeah yeah, yeah not, not, as, not as far yeah not as, not as far not as far up as that but in the, in that little neighborhood there it's near Ned Beatty lives up that way it's a house on Haunted Hill is up in there uh, anyway the uh, uh, there was this breakfast nook, uh, this little breakfast place that a lot of people go to. And I was with a, a dear friend of mine since departed uh, from uh, San Diego. And we were we were out uh, having, a, having a brunch there. Right. And uh, these two women came over to us <coughs> and they uh, and they said, can we get your autograph? I'm like, why would you want my autograph? And they said, you're James Cameron. We know that I had a, be I had a little scruffy beard <laughs> at the time. And I said, no. And so my friend, my, my dear friend, <laughs> saying no he's james cameron he just doesn't like doing autographs if that's like so i said no she's kidding i'm not james Cameron. so these women <laughs> that made it worse i'm sure right yeah yeah insist <laughs> that i was james cameron so they gave they gave me their their menus and i wrote your kings of the world jim and i wasn't lying it was jim and i didn't you know it's and i'm sure i'm convinced they went home and they were convinced that they met james cameron <laughs> at a brunch stop up in the hollywood hills um, but that's you know that's well it's that's the land of illusions so it, it's okay I think it's uh, it, re it's it really okay. is and I, m I made their day I'm sure so uh, you know and this is the kind of place where you can be held up in front of Tiffany's by an international spy and and LAPD shows up and you could tell the story that Jeff Goldblum has when he's done with this you could tell that in conversation in LA and people would believe you because that's <laughs> it's just this is the craziness that happens on the on the left coast there. It is a crazy town. Now you've actually got the is it Shark Factory DVD Blu-ray of this? Sorry. Yes, yes, it has a it has a, a, an interview with Jeff Goldblum and it has an interview with John Landis. Right. And it has the um, uh, the uh, uh, the 1985 um, featurettes that had come with uh, uh, like BB uh, King doing his own video, sure. which was shot just before or just after. Um, no, it was just after uh, Thriller. Right. So this was Landis at his peak. And uh, Landis talks about filming the thing and telling B.B. King that uh, it's okay. You can hit bad notes. We'll just film it again. You can have another take. <laughs> so uh, uh, watching him film that. And then this very peculiar. Um, Is there a story uh, behind that video, by the way? Because, I mean, even the film, which we can get to, is filled with, I think, 22 cameos. But even the music videos have got... Eddie Murphy, who's not in the film, and Dan Aykroyd, who's not in the film, and stuff. Yeah, it's just anybody that would anybody that would show up in support of uh, John Landis, who was you know at the time going through a criminal investigation of right. you know, the Twilight Zone movie. So uh, these were just people in ways of showing support. And if he couldn't fit them in the movie, like Eddie Murphy wouldn't be fit in the you know trading places at the time. But um, yeah, I assume that what, he, that's what it was. It was just like even in Spies Like Us, I think there's a bunch of cameos, but. It was in support yeah, it, of, uh, I think, Vic Morrow's tragic death, along with those two Vietnamese children when they were hit and, I guess, well, rotobladed, if you will, yeah, uh, by that crashing yeah, helicopter. Just, a, you know, it, it, it's a terrible pall that was cast over this movie and filming it. Um, not too dissimilar to the uh, uh, the follow-up to Romancing the Stone when they lost uh, the, the author of Romancing the Stone for, for the beginning of Jewel of the Nile. They're yeah. shooting locations there. The movie was released, but you could tell nobody in the movie was really up for doing it because it was, you know, they lost their, their main creative drive. It, it, imagine if Lawrence Kasdan had died just after um, 
uh, Indiana Jones came out. So it's just, you know, it, it, that was a, it, it, some movies have this bad thing following them. And I think maybe, maybe the reason that Into the Night wasn't a success was because the whole Landis trial thing was going on while, while this was going on. Yeah. No, it's, uh, I, I, can't, I can't remember. I've tried to find it actually. There was a YouTube interview with John Landis with this younger guy. And at the end of the interview, he did ask about the Twilight Zone thing. And Landis obviously got very flustered and kind of go, went, oh, why are we talking about that? And then just kind of like laughed it off and stuff. It was a really uncomfortable uh, kind of moment, if you will. But you've seen this, the Blu-ray, of course. What? Are, how does Landis look back on this film? Because it's, it's nothing that anyone I know remembers. Was, and even I think Richard, it, who's coming on tomorrow's show, was like, I've never even heard of this. But it came out in 85, yeah, I mean, and it was very similar, I think, to Martin Scorsese's After Hours, wasn't it? Like a real-time, over-the-night yeah. kind of movie of bizarre things yeah. happening to a guy. Yeah, and, and Landis thought, you know, he, he, was, he was touched by all the people that came out for it, but he just wanted to capture, he said it's almost a, it's a snapshot of Los Angeles. And I think he did a great job in terms of, you know, apart from the mayhem and the... Well, it's a noir, you know, isn't it, I think? A color, yeah. not a black oh, and yeah. white. Oh, yeah. A noir comedy. That's it. And, you know, and uh, the one that it reminds me of uh, is a Bogart movie, All Through the Night. I don't know if you've seen that, but uh, it has uh, elements of you know, there's gangsters and and uh, in that case, they're fighting uh, fifth columnist Nazis in uh, in Brooklyn, and uh, you know, here Bogart's playing his standard uh, gangster self with his uh, with his crew around him, but they <laughs> they wind up you know, being patriotic. Uh, Patriotic American, similar to uh, Eddie Valentine in the in uh, the Rocketeer. It's like you, you know, I've got I've got deals to make and uh, and gambling to get going, but uh, but I'm 100 percent American, that kind of thing. So <laughs> th- uh, it, it, that that all through the night, that comedy and mayhem and uh, well, that's another great Los Angeles movie, of course, The Rocketeer. You've just reminded me of Paul Savino, yes. True, yeah, yeah. That's that's all all through. It's like three I mean, ages of Los Angeles in a sense. You've got the two thousands with collateral, this with the eighties, and of course the Rocketeer from the thirties, forties. Yeah, so you, you do have a uh, you know little time capsules of what things were like. I mean, it, it's uh, it's fascinating. I, mean, I, I love looking at the fashions in this movie. <laughs> um, what was popular? You know, the idea of uh, uh, getting back to uh, the brother and sister Charles and Diana. I mean, how eighties how a name can you have in a in, uh, brother and sister town? And uh, you know uh, Diana wearing the thriller jacket, and uh, her brother Charlie is a Elvis. Elvis, yeah, Bruce McGill from Animal House and yeah, Cliffhanger and yeah. stuff. Yeah, just a, a incredible time. I mean, there's so much. Yeah, this is you know I think we're getting to, not to the heart, but at least we're getting to the outside of the uh, the celery heart of uh, <laughs> of, of wh- why we like this movie. It's just. Any minute you tune you tune it in. Now there is a thing that I always say that if you see a movie on TV and th- they're the kind of movies that you have to watch to the like if you see the Music Man comes on you have to watch to the end of the Music Man plays on on TV or if you're watching uh, Star Trek Two or things like that. There's a couple of movies like that. I would say that about Into the Night, except I've never seen Into the Night on network television since uh, I saw it on HBO back in the '80s after it lost after it came out a theatrical release and then it's just disappeared. I don't know why it's not on screen. But uh, you know, that's it's actually amazing. How, yeah, that's how I saw it. By the way, that's uh, really yeah. It's oh, hang on, the gain's too much on my mic. I kind of saw it, kind of channel surfing. I've never seen the full thing until uh, basically I was uh, I bought it on uh, DVD, but I found it so like hypnotic and weird. But I'd always join it, kind of ten, twenty minutes in, so I never actually saw the start <laughs> for many, many viewings and many, many years. Wow! So, uh, so you miss all, all the Dan Aykroyd pieces were out of your life. Exactly. Um, yeah. yeah, and and that whole Dan Aykroyd thing was, you know, I think that that expanded into what is now office space. I mean, that's just the the day to day drudgery of living in a cube farm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's just it's it, it's several movies at once, and uh, to me, even though it doesn't have much of a sensible ending, it it gave it the only ending it could, hmm. and um, I know we're skipping. It's kind of over essentially, isn't it? Jumping ahead. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what what happened to uh, uh, Stacy Pickering's character? What, what you know, doesn't he have to go back and settle settle out his relationship <laughs> with his wife? Um, I, I, now, and I know that we're skipping to the end here, to the very end of the movie. But uh, when that when that moment comes up, when the two of them are smiling at each other in the hallway, do you get the feeling that's a complete break from the movie? That they're just okay, we're all done, and they're gonna like they did everything but wave at the audience at the end. Well, I mean. Look, John Landis in all his films has done these curtain call endings, so you kind of get it twice in a sense. But I've always thought 
but I'm not a film genius like you. I always just thought that he's not going to go back to his wife, even though in the real world you wouldn't try and sort things out. He's got all this money, and he's got beautiful Michelle Five to run off into the sunset with. I mean, I'm assuming at the start of the film, because this has already been covered, so we can talk about it, I guess. When he gets up out of bed, when he's thinking, and he drives off towards the airport, my assumption is... He's going to Vegas to meet the hooker that Dan Aykroyd mentioned at work. Ah, that, yes. That's my, I th- what I think in my head, but I could be wrong. So he's obviously trying to escape the reality that he's in, essentially. So, I mean, after all he's been through, maybe he has had enough. Because, I mean, halfway through the film, he kind of <laughs> wants to just leave Michelle Pfeiffer and just go, I'm, I'm done. I've, had a, I've, got, I've got too much shit in my life, to quote him in pretty much directly. So I'm assuming yeah, in, in, in the... In he, the reality of the film he's kind of just going to go on and get on a plane with michelle pfeiffer and go somewhere quit his job and then rethink his life somehow but until she landed on his hood he was already starting his car which sounded like he was giving up on going to vegas and then oh, he's yeah. going to go back and live because <laughs> he's such a he's such life. a <laughs> mr cellophane from chicago yeah. or something he's such a, a, a wimp i guess he's yeah he's going to go back and uh but then i guess uh, fate just says no this is your yeah, record just... scratch moment he just uh, wanted some more Hagen Dazs or something. I don't. I just. Uh, <laughs> it's yeah. Just just a uh, just pa- path- pathetic life, and uh, she saved him from a pathetic life. And as as we watch his you know his uh, hero's journey, I mean, he slowly becomes more and more the hero. Well, when and, he meets uh, is know, it Irene? Not Irene Cara. The lady that's kind of like the head of the. Uh, yeah, the Savak the, people. The, the, yeah, the, the guest, the so Iranian Shaheen, guest Shaheen's, yeah, Shaheen's boys. Yeah, the big. Uh, yeah big mama Cass or whatever who's running yeah. like he kind of faces off with her saying he's mi6 or cia and now you don't know what to believe in stuff so he kind of gets his uh gets his gets hair on his nuts if you will <laughs> so he kind yeah, of he, mans up he, a little bit i think that i think the turning point for him on that is when he beeps the horn at uh at uh the uh, well john landis is Scar- pulling yeah, out john yeah. landis yeah and he just sits on the horn i think that's <laughs> the moment where where it all turns for him, where he just, you know, I mean, he does the one thing you shouldn't do is call attention to yourself. Hiding so, in plain uh, sight. It, but this this movie has so many plays. And, and by the way, I, 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 we're, we're almost at the halftime in this movie. So I, I just really want to thank everybody that's, that's been doing these things, including you, Ethan. You're you know, doing a bang-up job here and, and taking this movie apart. And it's been so fascinating that, I mean, some people like you and I have been, you know, we know every frame of this film, and you can probably quote huge sections of it. Mm. But also hearing from people who have never seen it before and just seeing what their initial take was on it, that's just uh, a fascinating part of this little project. That, uh, that I, I can't help but listening ahead when people send in their uh, their weekly uh, things. I, I, I listen a couple of weeks ahead, and it's like, yeah, they get it, or wow, I, did, I never saw it that way. Well, so I'm really glad uh, you did it because, I mean, it was on the cards for me to do with my co-host of Two Minute Terminator, Ellie. I mean, uh, she bought me a copy of this. And in fact, I still have it rolled up in a, uh, she ordered it from America, the original poster, 1985 oh, wow. poster. Where the, where, the, where, the, where the headlights are coming across there and they're looking behind That's it. That's it, but it, the super expensive one that was a rolled version and not folded because ah, it was, I think, wow. 90% of fo- folders from that, from the day, back in the day, if you will, were all kind of folded. So to oh, get a, yeah. a rolled one. That's true. That's true love. Wow. That's, Yeah. Wow. Now, what, is, what does Ellie think of the movie? Has she? Have you forced her to sit down and watch the movie? She understands that I like it, and she likes it. And I think out of everyone that I've sat down with to watch it, including uh, yesterday's host, uh, guest and tomorrow's guests, uh, well, I won't say what tomorrow's thinks, but yesterday's, no, uh, as yes. we all know so far, viewers, yeah. uh, that uh, he just thought it was all right. He understood that it was an, uh, not a bad film at all, but kind of didn't and didn't understand why compared to Landis's other work and I I, all the points that people have said as a uh, a criticism of this film I understand completely because it is very slow not a lot happens in it well, it kind of does but I think to someone who's just kind of going John Landis oh my god American werewolf animal house you know coming to America <laughs> like trading yeah, places yeah, you're expecting TVs going through windows and things like that this you're is a lot v- of more. very sedate and very pedestrian compared to those films which I, I guess are very high concept and this is high concept but it's kind of almost an invisible high concept like you said a, a, a modern day 80s color dark comedy noir yeah and it's I guess it's kind of a, a tough thing for people to kind of go what is this they just wander around los angeles los angeles at night like with you know 
Now, from your from your perspective, transatlantically, do you, do you feel that this is an American movie? I mean, I mean, I've oh, absolutely, here, yeah. But... And it's like we've said before, a very very Los Angeles movie, and the very DNA of this film, it feels very like Los Angeles. When I was walking around at night, I felt like I was, you know, reminded of this film or collateral. But I mean, this as well. It's like it's like the quintessential LA movie, I think. But very few people have seen it, and it's. John Landis as well, but people go, "That's a John Landis film." He did what? What film is it? They, they, everyone's had a Spies Like Us, but this is like the one that sneaked, snuck in under the radar that no one either has seen or remembers or both. Yeah, it's almost a B side of a record. It's just really he played that, and it's, yeah, it's it's very. I'm, what I'm what I'm trying to figure out is does this because you say it's an American movie, it's a Los Angeles movie. Does it not play well in the Eastern Hemisphere because there's too many local local jokes? I mean, Cal Worthington to me seems to be international everybody has a bad <laughs> bad salespeople you know, yeah fl- flaky car dealer but um i just i just wonder how even to the even to the extent is i wonder if it's just a california movie that people outside of la might not get mm. many of the jokes that are coming through yeah maybe and especially all the cameos and i think i've said this on yesterday's show so we're going to bring it up again listeners sorry but the john landis cameos apart from like three or four faces that you recognize everyone else is this kind of weird under the radar like in spies like us there's a scene in a in a tent i think i sent you the still of this you've got derek medin meddings who kind of did all the modeling for like thunderbirds yeah. and the bond yeah, films space and stuff yeah, yeah space 1999 and then you've got ray harryhausen that everyone knows and loves like what the hell are they doing oh and terry gilliam <laughs> we, we we know but like such odd cameos that only a complete nerd would get I, I don't know. I lo- that's what I love about it, though. But it's all—it's very strange because usually, if you cameo, you go, oh, Will Smith got a little, you know, cute scene in this like film we've just seen. Whereas this is littered with cameos. In fact, as the police car comes around the corner, the guy on the oh. the door of the hotel is a uh, Paul Bartel. Yeah, re- re- eating Raul. Yeah, and ninety-nine point nine percent of anyone who's seen this film won't understand or recognize that, or anyone listening to this podcast. I'm sure won't know who Paul Bartel is. <laughs> well, you know, hope, hopefully it will it will egg them on to to sitting down and watching Eating Rolls because that is one of my yeah. one of my favorite early Rick 80s Baker's movies. Rick Baker's in it. Dee Dee Fifer, yeah. Michelle's sister. Like, uh, is it? Oh God, the guy that's girlfriend gets drowned Rod- in the Roger uh, Vadim is in it. Yes, you know? it, it, French actor. It, <laughs> so just like <laughs> it's mind boggling. Yeah, I think if Kubrick were still alive, or if he were able to at the point, he would have been in there. Uh, but it, it, anybody that Landis could have gotten, Jack would, Arnold. Sorry to interrupt in. you. For, the man that yeah, directed, Arnold, uh, yeah. you know, Creature from the Black Lagoon. I think Tarantula. Yeah, yeah, the man with the dog. <laughs> it's all right. He's a nice dog. <laughs> but it's got these most bizarre. Not, then they're like literally under underground people that you like recognize. I do because I'm a. You know, an Asperger's-ridden film nerd psychopath. So I know who these people are, but it's just like <laughs> the cameos are just mind-boggling. Yeah, and and the thing is, if you don't know who the cameos are, it becomes an even stranger movie because it's like, why are we spending so much time focused on this guy coming out of an elevator <laughs> with a dog? And and part of it is so that they have the payoff later on with Savak. But yeah, but it's it's like you're thinking, well, should I remember them? Is that a key point or what? You know. It's uh, it's it's a very peculiar filmmaking method, and I and I think it adds to that insomnia. Why am I, you know, why am I here? Kind of a thing. <laughs> so uh, uh, I was going to say we've got David Bowie in this scene. I think it's quite apt, telling and poetic that you're actually doing this episode, which is the the main one of the week, because uh, you've got a few things you wanted to say that you mentioned to me before I did this show, and I forgot to mention them until now, but you mentioned that he's standing on a fruit box because Jeff Goldblum's six foot four, and as he right. steps out of the scene, he kind of steps down <laughs> off it, doesn't he, which you can quite plainly see at the yeah, end of he, this minute. He, he, he almost looks like he's shrinking as he's leaving the scene. <laughs> it's quite a, quite an interesting uh, drop for his hairline as he uh, as he slowly... And it, it almost like he falls backward. It looks like he's going to like hit a pillow somewhere yeah. just out of frame. Um, You've got like but, some key uh, grips ready to grab him in case he stumbles. You, 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 you I think. <laughs> yeah, and he does. I mean, I just, I can't imagine what it would look like if they, you know, if they let it go because his, uh, if if he hadn't used that fruit box, he'd be up to about uh, the pocket on Jeff Goldblum's jacket. So, it, 
<laughs> it's uh, it's amazing. One of the other things, um, his gun, I think, right? You mentioned his gun. Yeah, his his gun is a is an Astra. Uh, it's a Spanish made gun, an Astra Constable, which was uh, oh. actually built early in like world, first World War. I thought it was of, the kind of classic thing. Connery Walter PPK. I'm I'm wrong then. Damn. No, no, no. It's 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 an Astra, and what it is is those were. It, it's a German police gun that was the Germans bought them during World War Two, and the, so things things happened. So uh, neutral Spain couldn't deliver them. So after right. the war, uh, the German uh, Federal Police asked if they could continue the contract that they had been paid for them. And they never received them. So Astra made a bunch of these. Uh, they're small caliber, the thirty-eight caliber, or even some of them are thirty-two or even twenty-twos. And um, they became the uh, German police uh, gun. There was like a standard pocket, re- you know. This pocket, is post-war, uh, right? Pistol. Yeah, yeah, post-war. That's right. And so, um, but this has become like the gun of choice when you're showing um, extreme expert killers in uh, in movies. One of the great ones, if you've seen uh, the classic um, uh, Three Days of the Condor, um, uh, Max von Sydow mm-hmm. has one. He plays Jobert. And he uses it to uh, assassinate. Uh, at the at the end, he assassinates a government official uh, to make it look like it's a suicide, and he wipes the gun. And that's pretty much the same uh, Astra Constable. And is there that, a reason uh, they use them for these kind of like elite killers in films? Because it just looks cool, or is it? Is there? A- it looks. It's small. It's bigger than a Derringer, but it's small enough that it doesn't look. You know, you're not pulling out a cannon. It's not like a forty-four. You're not pulling out this gigantic. Uh, you know, big big. Uh, big barrel trigger thing and it, you know it looks it's this nice little snub those thing it doesn't look like i mean usually you'll think of like a, a if you think of a police gun you'll think of like a, a police special like the kind that jack ruby had when he shot uh oswald uh, oswald yeah <laughs> you think of that big revolver kind of thing and this doesn't look this doesn't look like that at all it's a nice nice short little gun that you can you know it it doesn't print on your suit when you're packing heat so you can just whip it out and then it looks what kind of damage would it do do you know what uh, the caliber was of it well you put it in your mouth even a 22 will take out the back of your skull so uh you know just it it it, it does the job it's not going to be you're not going to be picking people off from across the street but (laughs) it's uh you know even even at a 22 it's going to do severe damage and uh especially (laughs) Especially when it's aimed at your epiglottis, so um, you know it's it's great. It's it's a perfectly, a perfectly chosen weapon for this uh, for this particular shot, and uh, you know talk about breakfast at Tiffany's. Um, <laughs> I was going to say um, uh, I've asked this of all my guests in every episode so far, and I will continue throughout the week. I've got this weird theory, and I don't. I mm. I mean basically it's his mannerisms. Product but, placement. Uh, no, David Barry. He's acting very much like Ricky Gervais does in the in the office. He's got the same Gervais smile and kind of delivery and candor and almost kind of body movements. Uh, Toffer, when it yes, he was like, "Oh my God, you're right." I was thinking that I was going to say it to you, but I thought I'd sound a fool if I said it because I said it first. Now it, it, I'm trying to I'm trying to place what kind of a dialect he's putting on it. Didn't sound public school to me. He just sa- sounds more like a like a smarmy deal, you know, car dealer mm. kind of. A, I, I don't I I can't place that and you're you're more geographically equipped for that Is it's it, not the voice really it's that? more it's for me it's more the kind of uh, it's almost like gervais stole his mannerisms yeah. for david brent as he's about to walk off the kind of smile and the way he scrunches his face of him is all you know <laughs> yeah it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's just it's, it's like he's he's pleasant and calming he mm. just and, and it's at, completely at odds with the words that he's using um what you, and he also seems to be like He's trying to share mutual, you know, mutual respect for for the, he assumes the that Goldblum is a spy. You're really so very just, good, Ed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what did you think of his? Uh, uh, well, he's had quite a he's had a career in acting, of course, but uh, he kind of never really took off. The film he was in prior to this. I mean, you you've seen I've not seen the film we mentioned before we went on we started recording was the man that fell to earth. Man that fell to earth. Yeah. What that, is that? that? Was, is that a Ken Russell uh, film? Is it or no? Uh, can't think john borman yes i think borman I'm, I'm i'm a little bit far away from my internet right at the moment but uh yeah he is it more of a, like an art film as opposed to a it was very 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 artsy film and putting things together of this man who fell to earth and he was he came to earth to find water for his family on a different planet who were dying and he slowly loses his alien side of his life for his human side and kind of forgets that he was an alien and it's um it's sad and he you know it's it's lost love and like he he gives up um he comes for the love of his family but that's what he's leaving behind in adopting 
the ways of Earth. Right. Um, is there anything? Is it anything? A mirror at all of his kind of stage persona, Ziggy Stardust, or anything connected to that? Because he's got the kind of like the. Uh, He's got like the orangey dyed red hair, hasn't he, at the time? And he has that uh, 76, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, so it's 76. And um, I'm trying to think what era of his music. I know it was post Ziggy Stardust because he killed him off, didn't yep. he? And then. Yeah, uh, and Nicholas, uh, Nicholas Rogue. Yeah. Nicholas Rogue, uh, that's him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Rogue. That's, yeah. So, um, you know, it's not. It's, it, it's hard to describe. It doesn't, it doesn't really fall on a narrative style. Right. And it's more like uh, vignettes of him. Uh, Is it Cindy Williams in it as well? No. Um, Who's the lady in it? I can't remember. Candy Clark. Candy, Candy Clark. Clark that's it. Yeah. And uh, she. Yeah. It. Uh, I can't. I can't really. De- I can't really describe all the things. It's. It's. This is very. There's a, kind of like a steampunk feeling to the other planet that he's leaving behind. The. the the ship is uh, the, the place that he left his family behind. It's been a while since I saw this. Yeah, Rip Torn, Buck left his Henry, family Bernie behind Casey. It, it, I can see him on. I'm just looking at the cast. Yeah, yeah. They're comedic, comedic cast, but they're not playing it for comedy. And they're they're all they're all much very much cast against type. It's a it's a serious film. He has um. He has technology that he can sell to Earth, to in order to help his family. Mm. But as he as he does, as as he gives up things from his other planet, uh, he loses he loses himself yeah. in, in being part in of this. gaining he his like, humanity. He kind of loses. Yeah, his, he had he has a uh, you know he has like these really alien cat's eyes, and uh, he had to put in human eyes over them. They don't match, of course, so they look, he looks like David Bowie. But uh, somebody takes a picture of his eyes, and it actually glues the glues the contact lenses into his eyes, so he can't turn back to the way he used to look. Yeah. And it's just just this slow cementing the transition. Yeah, yeah, and uh, very, as far away as you can get from this uh, Colin Morris character that he's playing here right now. Well, I think the film he um, did before this, because I, I I think he could have been a very big. Not that he's not a giant, he's an icon, of course. He's up there with all the musical greats, I think. But I think his movie career kind of suffered because I don't think anything he was in kind of popped, as it were. I mean, this was a wasn't a hit was it so that didn't work the film prior to this no. was tony scott's the hunger which was a kind of art vampire film with Catherine yeah. Turner and like susan sarandon yeah. which is all very kind of uh image over substance but that was that bombed as well that damaged tony's career and i think he did a saab advert uh when i think everyone's seen this it, uh, if you you can well, look I ha- it up I on youtube when the car that. chases the uh jet fighter it's a very famous advert, and that's kind of what gave Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer the idea to give Tony Scott the uh, Top Gun to direct, and that's kind of what uh, started Tony Scott's career again. But, of course, that same year, there was Labyrinth with David Bowie, which is obviously a beloved classic, particularly with, like, girls. Oh, my God, it's like Star Wars to all the girls I know. They're like, they love uh, Labyrinth. Many girls say that it was their first crush, their kind of sexual awakening, if you will, watching him <laughs> prance around in those tights. But, again, that wasn't a hit, sadly. It's a very beloved film. And then, I mean, there was the Hunger TV series, Zoolander and the Prestige repaid Nikola Tesla. But I think all the things he was in kind of didn't kind of uh, have him transcend into being well, a movie actor as well. But he's, he's very good, I think. One, I like him a lot. The one, that I was, uh, I, the one that I first noticed him in is, is like, a, it's like, hey, that's David Bowie. You know, like I didn't think of him as, oh, this is David Bowie doing Ziggy Stardust, but now he's in, this, you know, he's in Man of Fellow Earth. Uh, I don't know if you've ever saw. Have you ever saw the? Uh, it's a World War Two movie called uh, Merry, Merry Christmas, Christmas, Mr. Mr. Lawrence. I've not seen that. And but he's got the Peter the, O'Toole look, hasn't he? And it kind of looks a bit yeah, like. Yeah, he's he's like a, yeah, but he's doing like an Alleginus, like in Bridge of the, the Quiet kind of thing. He's trying to you know just calm things down, and um, it's uh, it's very prosaic for him. I mean, it was not you you know it's like you could have put anybody in there. It just happens to be a guy named David Bowie who's who's playing this, and um, it. It w- I was expecting it to be unusual, and the unusual part was it wasn't. So I, uh, I d- you know, it, it, that was a surprise. But I, I, you know, Bowie's always had a surprise in his in his careers, in his many careers. So I don't think he can really pin him down as saying this is a Bowie type uh, no. role because there's so many different ones. Well, I know well, that's evident. I think he was really trying to kind of branch out and do all these different things. That's uh, I think admirable. It's just uh, I think he could have. Yeah. Uh, been a lot bigger in films than he was as opposed to being these kind of odd cameos but i think in a weird way maybe that's better because you get to make a an impact and then you kind of 
disappear again. But uh, yeah, and and he's just you know, and he he's just an incredible looking guy. This is you you look at you can't help but notice David Bowie anywhere he is. Um, we were talking earlier about the one of the one of the anecdotes that uh, Landis talked about in this. Um, and I know I'm going to say her name wrong, but De- Deborah Nadelman. Nadelman. Uh, Landis's wife. She, if anyone has seen the Indiana Jones uh, documentaries on the Blu-rays, that she's of course the lady that cr- came up with Indiana Jones hat uh and uh his jacket and like aged all the jackets to match and stuff and like sat on the hat and you know kicked it around on the ground to give it that well-worn well-loved hat look so yeah she's a costume designer isn't she yeah yeah and she's she's the costume designer for this movie of course you know so uh so dear mrs landis was uh told landis said look this uh he wants him to look like you know an insurance salesman or some uh used car dealer he's going to be the uh Cal Worthington of uh, of the spy world, and she, he she said, "Well, I don't know how do you want him to look." And she, she says, "Just make him look smarmy, have him in ill fitting clothes, and and give him you know just like a, a rumpled rumpled suit, and just have him look like Columbo or something, and just make him look miserable. He doesn't he shouldn't look good." So uh, after Bowie had come in for his fitting, uh, Deborah called Landis and said, "I can't do it." And she said, "What do you mean?" She goes, "Every time I put something on him." He looks, he looks great. better and better. <laughs> he looks just fantastic. And so she, he said, well, just, I don't know, loosen his tie, put a mismatched socks or what. And she said, no, I do that, and he looks even better. So uh, <laughs> finally they he got to the night of the shooting when they were first going to have him on. And so uh, Landis dug into a first aid kit and stuck a Band-Aid on his, you know, off, off the side oh, of his forehead. Oh, that's the reason for that, because I was pondering that, I think, yesterday. <laughs> and, and he's wearing he's wearing a suit that is uh, that is almost four times larger than what he needs. He's almost like you know in a stop making sense quality. Yeah. Uh, but he still looks fantastic in the, you know I mean just that the tie just reflects perfectly off of him and even though it's rumpled he just looks s- smashing. I mean you want you want to look like David Bowie. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny that a, you mentioned that because I think he kind of weirdly I'm not sure if he did it on purpose or was influenced maybe by doing this but he kind of adopted this look when he formed Tin Machine. The kind of yeah, yuppie, yeah. short hair, slick tie look. Obviously, this is the rumpled version, as you said, but he kind of did adopt that sharp suits, buying into the 80s, the kind of yuppie excess, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, ex- exactly. Very upscale. Yeah, the and, Wall uh, Street era. But just, 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 you know, he looks quite at home on Rodeo Drive. So uh, it's just a, just a beautiful moment. And this is this is one of the longest moments that we get with him where they're not, you know, he's not... Let's not be rash, Ed, when he's fighting with uh, Carl <laughs> <Yes>. Perkins. <laughs> <laughs> Let go of my hand, Ed. As, yeah. as the Wolfman plays in the background, Landis is obviously yeah. fa- favorite film. And, of course, uh, w- See You Next Wednesday is a theme in all Landis's films. I can't remember oh. yes. off the top yes. of my head right and now. Is it in this film? Yes, might... it's in uh, when they're at Bert's, uh, uh, called? Catherine Hall's boyfriend. That's it, yes. Yeah, it's, there's a poster on the wall. Uh, so he had something to do with yet another production of See You Next Wednesday, um, but I, I do like my favorite uh, my favorite Bowie line in, in this whole movie is when uh, they're behind the behind the curtain and that, that that's going to be upcoming where he has the uh, the knife pressed to uh, Michelle's neck uh, pressed to Michelle's neck saying not one word just uh, so full of you know the mouth full of menace it was beautiful and. Um, Again, uh, you know, I know I'm gonna. Wind up, I'm probably gonna wind up watching this movie again this weekend. It's just, it's, it's timeless and uh, it's dated, but it's timeless, and uh, and quite enjoyable. And I, I, I hope that people listening to all of these, uh, all these different episodes, even if they haven't seen it, I hope this at least encourages them to go out just once and try this movie out, start to finish, because it's such a, such a worthwhile thing to, uh, to experience. No, it's, I it's why, yeah. it's why you go to a movie. I think. Did you see it in the theater? Yes. Oh, yes, you did? did. Okay. Yeah, and uh, and then I bought the DVD. When, or the what was <laughs> the impetus the at the time to see the film? Because it was John Landis? Because the same year, like I said, The Spies Like Us came out, which is this kind of wacky, screwball-y type thing with Chevy Chase and Dan Aykroyd, which was more kind of broad comedy, whereas this kind of, like I said, is this dreamlike quality it, full of artifice. It, it, it was it was it put across as a as an adventure. I mean, the, the trailer is still out there. I, rem- I Actually, I've, I've really got to dig up I have an old VHS copy of uh, of this taped off of television when when it was still in the in the movie theaters, and it's it's a shortened version of that um, that movie trailer where they have the uh, the deep voice announcer saying Ed Oaken can't sleep. 
Well, that's and, the guy uh, that did the, the, the oh god, it's a black character actor. Forgot his name, but he did the kind of Jaws. He did the Jaws trailer yeah. as well, didn't he? In close that, that film, yeah, yeah. And he he does Ed, in in the thirty second commercial for it is Ed Oaken can't sleep, and then it just shows the car pulling out uh, underneath the two hundred five, and it says so he takes a little ride. And then you just see Percy the, Rodriguez. Uh, Sorry, Jim. There you go. Percy Rodriguez. There we go. Yes. Um, also, the king of cartoons on um, uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse. Okay, <laughs> with Lawrence Fishburne. <laughs> yes. Um, but he, uh, yeah, he. Uh, that's all he said. Ed, Ed Ogan can't sleep, so he takes a little drive, and they, you know, they show uh, Michelle falling on a hood, screaming "Help me!" and then uh, the the Savak guy with the pistol as he bounces off the car, and uh, and then they show like this brief clip here with. Uh, with uh, Bowie sticking the gun in uh, Jeff Goldblum's mouth, so, uh, and then it just says, you know, um, into the night, a dangerous romance, That's like it. it says on the bottom of your poster. Have you s- you've seen uh, After Hours as well, the Scorsese film, which is kind of very similar in a sense that yes. came out the same year. What do you think of that? Um, I like this one better. I, I do like. Me I mean, too. I under- understand that. I, I like I like Scorsese, but he has a tendency of staying a little too long on a scene. I'm not sure if I can explain it clearly, but. Um, too generous uh, I, with his kind of love of you know he does filming. he doesn't like to edit he doesn't like to edit he, he's a beautiful he's a he's a frustrated cinematographer he enjoys the look of he he likes setting up scenes on a screen and then just doing um you know a, a, almost a two camera thing back forth back forth um it, most present in uh raging bull if you watch raging bull it's just a lot of static shots and then he'll throw in these super cinematic um you know cgi not a cgi assist but a lot of special special optical effects work yeah to catch your attention like see how i can make a movie and i <laughs> i appreciate i appreciate the talent it just doesn't it, it doesn't help me slight overindulgence whereas this is more yeah, kind of underplayed yeah yeah, yeah. no I, well i mean mark commode the famous uk film critic says this is the better if you are going to compare those two kind of guy on this crazy journey throughout one night in a film kind of format uh this is the better film and it is i think it's uh well it is i think how, how can i say that yeah <laughs> it simply is yes um and, and and you know here it's only halfway through so people watching this movie i keep i keep picturing somewhere out there somebody's watching the movie and only watching a minute of it while we're i'm sure <laughs> and there's they some crazy out there who loves the minute shows and hasn't seen all the films yeah. so yeah yeah if you are and out there it's, hello, um, welcome thank you for listening now, <laughs> my my question do we care what happens at the i'm skipping to the to the end do we care what happens to uh ed and diana after this like do we want to follow them after this uh, do you think there's a further adventure I, yes for me yes <laughs> okay i really do because i think there's something to do with maybe corrupt coo gulliger gulliger who comes Ooh, like gives yeah. them the money and goes well you who are you gonna tell when he kind of takes like 20 <laughs> or 30 grand for himself or I think maybe not, there's yeah. some corruption within that department that's uh, you know wants the money as well as the stones. I don't know because it's. Uh, I, I was just wondering if there's more more going on in Jack's life. You know, it's like. Uh, well, I mean, it, even it, like you said, uh, David's story is not wrapped up, is it? Colin Morris is he's left there no. wrestling knife to knife with. Uh, yeah, he could have he could have uh, survived the blue suede shoes attack. So. Um, <laughs> It's yeah. It's not. I mean, he's not dead yet. We don't know. And uh, I mean, they're cra- they're crashing around. So uh, you know, we we don't know what's happening with them. Uh, there's there's other characters. I mean, what you know, he's got. Is he gonna go back to the aerospace place and talk to Ackroyd? Is um, I mean, even wrapping up know. the the Bruce McGill Elvis uh, bit as well. Yeah. I mean, you could even have like a Netflix series, ten parts, and just have like all <laughs> these intersecting characters have their own episode. And then the overarching story is kind of like, uh, you know, the umbrella that is Into the Night. I mean, they do it with Star yeah, Wars. They've had a million spin-offs of that. Why not do an Into the Night? Wishful yeah, or, you know, <laughs> or work work backwards from a courtroom scene, and try, him trying to explain why he has two and a half million dollars in his pockets. And then, you know, just going back to, well, the next morning we did this, and then we did this. And just trying to get the money that. into a bank? There we go. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, going back to Amy Heckerling, and maybe she knows something that we the didn't waitress, know. Yeah. part of it, yeah. I mean, even so, the FBI, is that how they'd operate? They're like, the money's clean, we just have to give it to you? It's like, okay, here's a here's a money belt. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're not seizing money, and then if that was the case, if they were honest, they'd transfer it to an account of yours? I don't know. Yeah, and do they work for Jack? And how long has Jack had had them on the payroll? And how much money does Jack have? And what about um, uh, Body by Jake? You know, Larry, he's a pig, but what... <laughs> 
You're a pig, Larry. Well, yeah. I think. Well, I mean, I can only assume something terrible happened to those two. Yeah. Well, I mean, we do see him later with uh, Vera Miles. Oh, he's got and, the broken. Uh, he's got the broken neck. So maybe the girl was right, okay yeah. as well. But uh, yeah. Yeah. They knocked him out, and then we hope nothing happened to her. But uh, they, yeah. they were less than savory characters, should we say? Those four inept uh, Iranian hitmen, <laughs> one, yeah, one yeah. of which being John Landis. Well, uh, wow. Well, I, I, again, Ethan, thank you so much for being part of all this. It's a, uh, it's an exciting adventure, and I'm glad you're part of the adventure. I'm, I'm proud to be part of the adventure, Jim. I mean, like I said, I was about to kind of, uh, I was strongly, should we say, thinking about doing this as a film. Uh, as a, a minute by minute podcast and then you came along and was, i was like oh what's this you like i'm behind it i was like oh wow okay can i do a week and here we are and uh yeah yeah i mean I, dude i love this film i, I love oh, you yeah. slightly less but i still love you jim okay and, well uh, it's okay if, if you're giving me up for a for bowie and goldblum i'm okay with that <laughs> uh but yeah it's a it's a i really think we've taken a... this apart though i was looking forward to this because i know you love this film just as much and i think yesterday's guest bless him uh wasn't sold on it which is fair because i understand people's criticism and go but nothing really happens in it but i kind of i love it for that's that. a good thing yeah it's a feature not a bug and yeah it, it, and i i actually do like it when people don't like the movie because there's much more to talk about you know you can't you, you can sit and listen to somebody talking for 20 30 minutes <laughs> going oh, i love this movie this is great this is the best thing ever you know sliced toes uh but well, i just yes, think you're insane to it being a, a very la movie and the noir and the quality to it and the kind of the story behind the story the landis stuff with you know twilight zone and the cast cameo support and things it's uh and it it, it doesn't require you to think too hard it's just something you can sit back and enjoy it just kind of let it wash over you and you feel we've all had that feeling of staying up too late and not uh i mean gosh the, i know the it's way you life. work and you <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're always into the night so it's you know you this movie really captures that insomnia feeling that well i mean that, you, that you said ache. that at the start of the show sorry to interrupt uh i was gonna say no, though no. when you kind of when you do finish these jobs that i do and you finish it at 4 a.m. and 3 a.m. and all these kind of weird characters that are populated, not just in Los Angeles, but any kind of major metropolitan city. And every person has a story, as you said at the start of this very episode, that like, why, why are they doing that? Who is he? Why is she walking down there? Why is that person out that night? Why is that kid out? He's like four years old with his mother. What's going yeah, on? What are they carrying that box for? What's, what's in the box? Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's all that all that stuff. And this is just a great little slice of crazy LA life that you know it, it, it translates anywhere in the world. You know, it's crazy Birmingham life or whatever. You can you can say this is this is the weird feeling I get at three forty eight in the morning. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, but just a beautiful film, and I, I definitely I'm going to wind up watching this again. Me uh, too. Not this weekend because I'm busy, but I I I definitely will. But. Uh, Yes, there we have no. viewers. My favorite film. So I, I've I've actually got a bit more insight into myself of why I like this now. I think it's like it's like meeting someone else that likes it. I've gone, oh, I'm validated and vindicated. <laughs> I'm not the only yeah, one. That, that's exactly the how I feel. The two man focus like group has begun, Jim. <laughs> Maybe there's yeah. more of us out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, somewhere. I mean, this you know the internet's forever. So this will be out there, and maybe somebody forty years from now will be listening to this and going, oh, they liked it way back then, and I'm still the only one that likes it. You know, so. <laughs> It, uh, it, it'll 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 play. I think I I don't think this movie has legs unless you go hunting for it. You know, people don't know about it, but uh, generally, from what I've been hearing so far, so far as we are here in week I don't know nine or ten, whatever ten or eleven, um, the the general consensus so far is people that haven't seen the movie like the movie for the most part. And if they don't, it's mostly nitpicking. And they, they find good things in the movie, even though they don't, they may not like the movie as a whole. Well, I do hope the renaissance that it's hopefully having with the release of Blu-ray and like Landis is probably seeing that people do like this film and it's uh, not remembered as well as perhaps he would have hoped. But I think it's one of his... My favourite film of his, even though that gigantic pantheon of ama amazing films, I think the only director I can think of that had just a run of like every film is pretty much a classic especially in that small corridor of time was spielberg from like 75 to 84 indiana jones 2 uh, temple of doom and then obviously the john carpenter films throughout this little period of up to like maybe 1986 and john landis they just seem to just keep knocking out classic after classic after classic and this is kind of like uh you know a lowercase classic I, th I think in his catalog but i think uh it's my favorite film of his and i do hope that he uh he looks at it fondly as well. Next to well, all that well, was a great work. 
hopefully he'll find this and and tune in and hear your hear your call and maybe we'll get a we'll get a sequel out let's of hope well jim you're the man if anyone can pull this off it's you <laughs> if you can ever get to anyone that's in hollywood who is anyone it's going to be you so hopefully before this run of shows ends uh you can perhaps get john lannis i know you've got one cast member teetering on the brink of coming on so hopefully uh, i'm looking yes, forward yes, to that it, it, it'll be a surprise a big surprise it's not end, david hopefully. bowie folks relax no <laughs> no sorry sorry and bruce mcgill has me on uh on call waiting so i, I don't know it won't be bruce mcgill so but maybe if something if somebody else in our in our little group what do you uh, know what them, if might... anyone can get landis my friend <laughs> it's going to be you and as this show is forever you've got other shows that are forever online so as we sign off jim where can people find you if they don't know you already as the godfather of minute podcasting uh yeah, one of the sim one of the simplest ways i have a little resume file out there called uh, jimokane.com j-i-m-o-k-a-n-e.com you can view my entire oeuvre as they say <laughs> and uh, it's got all the all the podcasts, all the websites, uh, anything you want to know about me is is pretty much parked out there. So go visit jimokane.com and it'll lead you down the rabbit hole. Oh, I have a question before I sign off. You, yes, sir. You promised. I'm not sure if it's feasible oh, no. at the moment, uh, but uh, what the? you did the Rocketeer with Billy Campbell, the star of the Rocketeer himself. Uh, yes. You mentioned maybe, possibly, perhaps Dracula might be on the horizon. Is that a possibility at all? It is still a possibility. Um, Mr. Campbell is working on another season of uh, his show Ca Cardinal, which is doing great in Canada and great across the Hulu network. Uh, so, and probably, I'm sure it's all over Europe by now. So, um, as soon as he has a free moment, we're going to try and uh, squeeze in uh, bloody uh, Dracula too because, big of course, love never again. dies. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> he's. Uh, he I, I do enjoy Mr. Campbell, and hopefully, you know, I, I really was hoping for a Rocketeer too, but I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. But who knows? You know, the world's the, the yeah. Well, you, Disney, they're always trying to yeah. re renew their properties. They've got uh, Beauty and the Beast coming, not Beauty and the Beast, sorry, uh, Aladdin, the live-action Guy Ritchie remake, uh, coming yep, out yep, shortly. So they're redoing and, a lot uh, of things. So hopefully they'll uh, do a and sequel. Bar Bart Simpson, Bart Simpson, and Mickey Mouse are under the same tent now. So and the Alien um, Queen, bizarrely, <laughs> the Alien yeah, Queen is a yeah. Disney princess. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, that uh, being said, that's where you can find Jim. If you go to jimokane.com, uh, and also if you look out for uh, Apollo thirteen minute, James Bond minute, Into the Night minute, you're already listening to that, and uh, Airport minute and Rocketeer minute are just a few of uh, the great work that uh, Jim has done, not only in the world of podcasting, but for mankind. Well, let, <coughs> let's talk about your el your elemental um, uh, podcast that is so, I mean, it's, <coughs> it's, it's epic, your two-minute Terminator, which uh, I've enjoyed. Um, so much so much interplay between you and Ellie, and just uh, how many how many thousands of episodes did you I think have we on did all almost 400 we did all five films she taught me into doing terminator 2 because that was her favorite terminator i was like okay and then we we went we managed to do three scenes we're here and then we thought well genesis is coming out next summer so if we do terminator salvation now for this year we're ready for terminator genesis the next year so we've done all of them basically now, with the, the new Terminator film looming on the horizon, maybe we'll do a, another one, but I don't know. I think I've burned her out doing like 400 episodes of five <laughs> movies. We shall see. I don't know. Uh, the other thing I'm actually in at the moment, Jim, whether you know this or not, I don't know. I'm in a, a new horror film called The Witching Hour, playing the main villain. So this hopefully will be a big, big break for me. So well, oh, okay. Well, I will, I will watch her to drive, uh, drive in near me. Full, full disclosure, um, Jim. I w basically I started stand up a year and a half ago. Uh, two months into doing it, I was asked to do the panels at Horrorcon, where you interview kind of uh, the cast of various films uh, and stuff like it, the nineteen ninety movie being one of them. When I'd finished my day's work there, I went to walk around the trade hall to look at all the posters, the action figures, all that stuff. As I was kind of walking down, I saw these guys sitting behind a desk selling these documentaries on Blu-ray. Uh, one was Fright Night, and the other was uh, Leviathan, the story of Hellraiser. These guys make documentaries on films, basically. Ah. I wanted to buy the Fright Night documentary and the book that accompanied it from Gary, the writer and the director of this documentary. And I couldn't remember my uh, PayPal password to pay. <laughs> so for the half an hour I was standing there trying to reset my password get in with this crap signal underneath this gigantic football stadium <laughs> I just got talked to them found out I was an actor and stuff etc even though my agent sadly had been fired two months prior to that 
because he had some substance abuse problem, the agency said. So they got rid of him, and any, any actor that wasn't in a job at the time, they just kind of pushed off the chessboard. So that was kind of me out of the business then, hard to get back in if you're not in anything. Yeah. So <clears throat> I do all that, and eventually he just got so bored of me talking to him, and look, just take the book and the DVD, the Blu-ray, sorry, if you're honest, you'll pay when you get back. Here's my PayPal password. Just send me the money. Wow. I went, okay. So I got back, sent all that. And then a month later, I did a podcast with him, interviewed him. And then at the end of that, he went, you're an actor, weren't you? You said, I was like, yeah. He went, send me all your tapes and your uh, your showreel and stuff. And then based off that, he cast me in this thing. So I've, it's weirdly, had I not walked through the trade hall of that Horicon, I'd never have met them. And thank, thank goodness he didn't remember your PayPal password. Yeah, <laughs> and I would have continued to be on the outside of the acting business after 10 years in it, and it was going great up to that point. So hopefully I'm being... I've been dealt a, a kind Room. hand yes. by fate, so uh, yeah. Yes, well, t tell me on, on that uh, uh, Fright Night. Uh, I was just I was just on the uh, Fright Night minute uh, a short time ago, a few few March days before. Oh, well, they should reach and, out uh, to Gary. I can connect them if they want. He should. Uh, oh, yeah. Yes. Well, we will we will talk about that offline. I'll get you, I'll get you plugged in. But I was wondering, Roddy McDowell supposedly had a bunch of videos that he had made, like he made his own behind the scenes tape, and then they had lost somehow the videos had turned up lost and or had, had been lost in the shuffle it, are they anywhere part of that blu-ray or i'm pretty sure they are i've not seen it for a year now but i'm pretty wow. sure they are the, i mean the the documentary it's called you're so cool brewster the story of fright night you can google it the, the <laughs> next thing they're actually making is pennywise the it documentary oh wow and they've also got cooking the police academy documentary the only guest they're missing is uh mahoney what is it uh Oh, his name. Uh, Who played Mahoney? Um, listeners, come on, Steve Guttenberg. Okay. They just yeah, they've got one go. more to yeah, get. Steve name, Guttenberg. Yeah. Once they've got him, they'll have the complete every actor from pretty much all the films that's still living up right up until Police Academy. I think seven or eight. Is it Mission to Moscow? So that's wow. they just make these comprehensive two and a half hour documentaries. So there's that coming out, and then after that, there's Robo Doc, the story of RoboCop. So. Wow! All oh, these guys, they, these guys make us movies by minutes. Folks look like pikers. That, yeah, wow, that's so they're, they're doing all that, and then in, now they've got the money from the docks and stuff, and they've got all these connections in Hollywood and all the people they've made obviously stuff with. Uh, they're using that to kind of uh, start a movie career, basically. So they filmed The Witching Hour, starring me as Tiberius Crane, uh, <laughs> is coming to Amazon Prime, I think, at the end of this year. But uh, awesome! I'll send wow. you some photos oh, wow. of me in makeup, Jim. And if, in fact, if you go to EMCQ1, the number one, EMCQ1, my Instagram, you can actually see me uh, behind the scenes with people like Kenneth Cranham, who's like a very famous knight of the British stage and theatre, who was in Hellraiser 2, and he's in uh, Layer yes. Cake and stuff. Kenneth Cranham, yeah, he's a... You, well, you used to live in England, didn't you, Jim, back in the day? So you might have yes, yes, seen him on Harvey the, Moon yeah, and sir, various and things. Yeah, he's a... Sure, yeah. So, yeah, uh, it was... Oh, a, that, I, I, am enjoying, I am enjoying the uh, makeup. Very... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Wow. Oh, impressive. So hopefully okay. the, the next Connor, I might actually be on stage being interviewed as opposed to being the yeah. guy interviewing. So who knows? It's a nice twist of fate. Had it, like I said, the most bizarre things happen in life. Sometimes horrible things happen. Sometimes great things happen. Mostly horrible. <laughs> but well, this is, yeah, a, no, it's, this it's, is a great it's thing. It's landed jelly side up this time. That's great. And thank <laughs> God it has. So <laughs> listeners, uh, you can find me on Instagram, EMCQ1. Have you got an Instagram, uh, Jim? No, I do not. I have all the other socials, but not, not Instagram yet. But I may dip my toe in uh, later this year. I think you should. I, I think I've had a be better response with things versus, uh, you know, Facebook and Twitter, weirdly. I think everyone's on Instagram now. But uh, now all that said, listeners, if you are listening to this show, you, of course, know about it, Night Minute. So your job now, if you've enjoyed this episode and all the subsequent ones coming up to this point, if you go and tell a friend or a family member or just someone in the street, who knows, just go, hey. Go to Into the Night Minute, or sorry, nightminute.com, and uh, tune into this uh, wonderful show with uh, people, some people who don't like the film, some people who haven't seen the film, and of course, people who love the film like me and lovely Jim O'Kane. So, uh, what was I going to say? If you go to uh, moviesbyminute.com, you can uh, plug in, of course, to all the other Movies by Minutes, uh, and that's it, really. Hopefully, well, we, I know this for, for a fact, I'll see you tomorrow for Thursday's show with another guest. Uh, a guy called Richard Jackson from Valverde dot uh, Valverde Broadcasting, sorry, on YouTube. Sorry, it's very late here in England, so I'm getting marble mouthed. <laughs>
But uh, once again, thank you so much for listening, uh, listeners. And uh, hopefully uh, you'll uh, go and check out some of the other guys' shows, including mine, you know, Two Minute Terminator. But uh, before I sign off, I just want to say thank you so much to Jim O'Kane. Jim, I don't love you as much as Into the Night, but I do love you. And I do really appreciate you coming on this show. And I knew you'd have this amazing, wonderful insight. And you did. And you've made me love the film even more than I did before. So thank you. <laughs> uh, you, you. You, sir, have given analysis deeper than whale poop. It's just so uh, my, miles and miles of this. And I'm, I am so glad that we could connect on this on this film. Because this is just, it, it, it's such a uh, timeless classic, at least for you and I. And uh, hopefully we can, we've, we've enticed enough people to, to watch it again. So please do, if you do get a chance, get out there and watch into the night yes so uh, yeah check out this show on iTunes Google Play and of course as I said nightminute.com and hopefully me and Jim will be appearing on other podcasts together because I have missed you Jim it's been a couple of years sir. so uh, let's hope we no, see each we, other again let's not, let's, let's not make it too, too, too long a distance as it was exactly well uh, viewers and listeners listeners uh, thank you so much for listening I love you not as much as this film and uh, I love Jim too thank you good night <laughs> me too <laughs> Good night. Do we thank you or what? I'd say I fall in the or what category.